Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we take a new look at the story of the prodigal son in a message titled, The Love of the Father. Our guest teacher today is one of our members, Jonathan Maddox. Listen as we get some pointers for dads in how to prepare our kids to face lives, even as God prepared us to face lives. And then we'll be challenged as sons and daughters in ways to relate to our Heavenly Father. Wonderful, wonderful. It is a blessing to be here today. I uh, just thank God that um, he's providing this opportunity for me uh, to minister to you today. I want to, um, first of all, thank Pastor David in his absence for uh, providing this opportunity for me. And uh, my wife and I have just loved being a part of Bay Hills uh, Church. We've been here almost three years now, and it's just been transformational for us to be here and be a part of this ministry. So thank you. Thank Pastor David. And most of all, praise the Lord. All right. And before I get started today, I'd like to introduce you to my wife. I don't know that all of you know her. Her name is Diane Maddox, and she is right here. Amen. We have been married 19 years, and she has not put me out. At least nothing I'm going to admit to. So thank you, guys. So today we're going to be talking to you. I'm going to be talking to you a little bit about uh, the love of the Father. I'm going to read you a little story. It's a poem called Father. It says, when I was four years old, my daddy could do anything. When I was seven years old, my dad knew a lot. He knew a whole lot. When I was eight years old, my dad didn't quite know everything. When I turned 12, it was, oh, well, naturally fathers don't know everything. When I turned 14, oh, dad, he's hopelessly old-fashioned. When I turned 21, oh, man, that dude is out of date. What do you expect? He doesn't understand. When I turned 25, I began to say, oh, he knows a little bit more about that, but not too much. When I turned 30, I began to say, wow, I must find out what dad thinks about this issue. (laughs) When I turned 35, a little patient lets dad, let's use a little patient and let's get dad's ideas first. When I turned 50, I began to say, "What what would dad have thought about this? When I turned 60, I began to tell myself, my dad literally knew everything. And then when I turned 65, I said to myself, I wish I could talk it over with dad one more time. There are some unique impartations that a father makes in the life of his children and in the life of his family. And as I spend a little bit of time with you today, I'm going to talk to you about the love of not only our natural fathers, but the love of our heavenly father, which is the most meaningful thing that we could experience here in this life. So I'm going to start by telling you a little bit about my father. My father's name is Robert. Uh, He grew up in Lawrenceville, Illinois. He's a Midwesterner. He's a hard worker, practical joker. He's very creative. Uh, As you can see, I'm black. My mom is black and my brother is black. But my my stepdad is Caucasian. So so he (laughs) we came home one day from from school and um, my father had cut a hole in the wall in our house. And, you know, uh, being from an urban setting, we don't normally cut holes in our walls. And he said, hey, we got a project this weekend. We're going to put a sliding glass door in the house this weekend. And and we put in a sliding glass door in the house over the weekend. But for me, that was amazing because I had never seen a man just kick a hole in the wall and put in a sliding glass door and, and do his construction thing. He was he was very handy. He was a provider. He had a great sense of humor. 
Uh, he, he's currently 68, 69 years old. He's a little bit afraid to retire. Doesn't know, quite know what he's going to do with himself. My mother wants him to keep working. She's like, hey, we were doing cool for 30 years while you were at work. <laughs> Some of you ladies can relate to that. It's like, we need you to go back to work because we can't coexist in this house together. <laughs> he's a protector. He's a, he's a great traveler. Um, uh, he prepared life. He prepared my brother and I for life. He was very patient with us and he was a great coach. I'll tell you a story. When I was uh, 19 years old, I had gone to college for a year and uh, didn't quite work out for me. I wasn't ready for school. I was very immature. Um, wasn't going to class, going to parties, doing all that other stuff that unsaved 19-year-olds do. And so I came home for the summer. Actually, I came home after Christmas break. And I was like, I'm not going back to school. And I was found myself sitting around the house doing nothing, doing a little bit of nothing here and there. And uh, he came into my room one day and had a conversation with me. He said, you know, your mom gets up and she goes to work with you for you every day. You can't sleep all day and do nothing. You either have to uh, join the military or get a job. And he, he came in there at the impetus of my mother. And so he took me down to the recruiter. I talked to the guy, did a, hey, did a few things, went back home, went down a week later and joined the Army. And my mother wasn't too happy about that because that was actually a joke. She was just trying to get me to go to work. She didn't actually want me to join the military. But my dad had the forethought. He understood that if you're going to be a useful, productive man, you can't sit around and not work. You can't sit around and not do anything. And so I really appreciate him for that, for making that investment in my life. So today we're going to be talking about a father who loves his children. The story that we're talking about today uh, comes from us, comes to us in the form of a parable. It's a, a artistic genre that uh, compares two dissimilar things. It's something that is as compared to something that it is not. You guys all, I don't know if you all re- remember reading these things like God is like Coke. He's the real thing. God is like Lexus. He's in the pursuit of excellence. All those kind of things. God isn't a car and God isn't a soda, but it's a comparison and you kind of get the ideas. And the the goal of the parable is to teach a lesson on an evocative and emotional level by taking practical truths and teaching a spiritual lesson. Let's see if you can remember this. You remember this? You remember these commercials? Remember, this is your brain. It's an egg. And then they pan it over, they crack the egg, they put it in a hot pan, and they say, this is your brain on drugs. Well, we know your brain isn't an egg, but everybody kind of got the idea that drugs are not good for you. Drugs will do things to your brain that it was un or not intended to do. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to make a comparison between two things that are not similar at all. So today we're talking about Luke 15, chapter 15, verse 11. It says, Jesus continued... He continued telling stories. He said, there was a man who had two sons. Now, this parable and this story actually flows out of a comment that was made by the Pharisees about 11 verses earlier. Jesus was hanging out with the publicans and the sinners and the Pharisees and the scribes began to say to themselves that this man eats with sinners and he hangs out with those that are undesirable. And Jesus says, "Okay, these people don't get it. They don't understand me. They don't understand my father. They don't understand what we're all about. So I'm going to tell you a story. Verse 11 says, Jesus begins telling the story, says there was a man who had two sons. How many fathers do we have in here? How many? Raise your hand. I'm proud. All right. How many of you have sons? All right. Bless you. All right. So as you know, fathers have unique roles in their families. The first role that they have is that the father provides for the needs of his children. That's what dads do. Dads get up every day. Dads go to work. Dad may help mom maintain the budget. They save. They plan for their kids. They pay for school. They pay for camps. They pay for all kinds of things. Dads work to provide for the needs of their children. 
He uses his giftedness to sustain the needs of his family. You know, research has actually proven that men who are married to their children's mother are much more productive over the over their lifespan in using their gifts to provide for their children. They're much more creative. They're, they're much more tenacious about getting things done because they realize that they have a family at home that they have to take care of. But not only does he provide for his family's uh, uh, fight monetarily, he provides for them emotionally. You know, how many of your kids loved when they were little just spending time with dad? I want to just sit on dad's lap. I want to climb on dad's head. I don't, I don't care where my dad is going. I want to go and be with him. How many of your kids just love story time? Dad, read that story again. Read it again, dad. You've read that story 500 times. You can read it back to them with the book closed. But they just wanted to spend time with you. And they wanted to hang out with you listening to you reading the stories because that's what dads do. Dads also provide for their kids emotionally by by demonstrating and, and modeling appropriate affection. You know, boys need hugs. How many of you guys know boys need hugs? You know, we try to act like boys need to be tough and rough and ramboish. Boys need hugs from their dad. Boys need to be kissed by their dad. Your daughters need to be kissed and to be hugged by your dad. Why? So that when they get older, they know how to discern what's an appropriate and what's an inappropriate touch as they begin to build relationships with the opposite sex. Dad, it's important. He also role models righteous living before them. He's a model for what life needs to look like. He's a model for truth. He's a model for justice. He's a model for righteousness. He's a he's the first picture of God that your children will ever see. You are the first picture of God your children will ever see. God designed us like that. So when we're patient and when we're kind and when we're merciful and when we're a disciplinarian and when we do all those things that our children need, our children begin to get a concrete picture of what God is like. Because God is too abstract for a child. They can't think on that level, but they can see you and they can see me. Dad, we provide for the needs of our children. First Timothy 5 and 8 reminds us that if anyone does not provide for his own, especially his own household, he has denied the face and he is worse than an unbeliever. You know, I thank God that I'm in a relationship with a lot of men and a lot of men in this room here that takes care of their children and you provide for your children and you do for your children. How many of you remember buying your first bike for your son or for your daughter? That's an amazing time to just see your child get on that bike and then fall off because they don't know how to ride it. But you're there and you're supporting and you're encouraging. Those are the things that our kids remember. Now, you might be asking me, why am I going down this lane? You'll see in a minute. I'm trying to paint a picture. These boys had an awesome father. So not only does this father provide for their needs, he protects them from harm. How many of your dads like to be the disciplinarian? We got two. How many dads realize that it's important to be the disciplinarian? All right, we got a few more. We got a few more. Dad, it's important that we set limits with our children and that we have expectations for their behavior. You know, your wife loves you and she loves her kids, but if she had it her way, she'd rather not be the disciplinarian. She'd much rather be the one that gives the hugs and the kisses, making breakfast, gossiping with, it, with, with, the, with the little girls, fussing over clothes. They'd much rather do all those things. They would prefer that we be the disciplinarians. We be the ones that actually set the limits and tell our children lovingly, no. Man, can I hear you say no? Hmm. All right, man, let's get a lovingly no. All right, man, it's important that we learn how to tell our children no and to discipline them. 
I mean, one of the things we see a lot of times, especially in urban communities, is that because there's a lack of fathers in the homes, uh, children don't get the discipline that they need growing up. And so, unfortunately, they go out on the streets and the police have to discipline our children. And so God created a stopgate for that in that giving us fathers and said, fathers, if you will be the disciplinarian in your home, if you will protect your children from harm by disciplining them and telling them, no, nobody else will actually have to do that. Secondly, under protecting them from harm, he teaches them. He invests in their moral development. It's important for us to do Bible study with our children. It's important for us to pray with our children. It's important for us to teach them how to make right choices and to impart biblical wisdom when it's needed. How many of you guys realize we're living in a very confused world right now? You know, we're giving courageous awards to, to, to transgender people. You know, I don't have anything wrong with Bruce Jenner, but I, I think there are many, many more people in the world who would be um, uh, uh, deserving of a courage award than somebody who's willing to go through what it is that he went through. How many of you guys know that people don't know that it's not okay to have premarital sex, that abortion is just the thing to do? Well, it's not. Shacking up is not the thing to do. Having premarital sex is not the thing to do. Stealing is not the thing to do. But, Dad, we are the ones that kind of set the tone in our home and teach our children what is right and wrong behavior, not only by what we tell them not to do, but what we model in front of them and how we live. See, these boys had an excellent father. He provided for them. He bought them their first bike. Bought the swimming pools, did all the fun things that he could pay for for his sons. He protected them from harm. He was on their Facebook pages. He, he, he knew who was on their Twitter account. He, he kind of understood what was going on. He knew their friends. How many of you know your kids' friends? My daughter's two. She's got like three friends, and I know all of them, and I tell them all the time, there ain't going to be no mess around here. There, there ain't going to be no problems, right? But it's important for dads to know their kids' friends so that you know what kind of people your children are hanging out with. The Bible says that, that a bad company corrupts manners, right? Is, is this too early? Is it, is it too early? Because cause I, I, I just need you to talk back just a little bit. Just, just, not a whole lot, just a little bit. We're going to have coffee after service, and we can get coffee, and we can get donuts, and I, believe, I promise you I'm going somewhere. All right. He protects his children. He provides for his children. And then lastly, he prepares them for departure. Somebody say amen. amen. Yeah, when I, before I got saved, I used to go to the club, and, the, and we'd be in the club so long, they'd start flicking the lights, and then somebody would get on the microphone and say, you ain't got to go home, but you got to get out of here. <laughs> and so at a certain point in life, you got to start looking at your kids and say, you ain't got to go to college, but you got to get out of here. <laughs> Me and your mother have some plans for the future, and it don't include taking care of your big old self. So you either got to get a job, you got to learn a trade, you got to go to college, but you got to do something productive. You got to roll out. And so, and so dads do that by helping their children identify what their gifts and talents are. You know, what are your kids good at? You know, we don't inherently see what we're good at in ourselves. Dads help identify that by pointing it out and affirming us. Billy, you seem really good at drawing. My God, I can't believe how well you write. You seem to be really good in basketball, David. Have you ever thought about playing that? Wow, you're a very compassionate person. Have you ever thought about being a therapist? Dad, when we're involved in our kids' lives, when we're affirming who they are, when we're affirming what God has placed inside of them, then we begin to prepare them for departure. He also casts a vision for their life. It's like, what do you want to do with your life? There's a whole world out there for you to see. There's a whole world out there for you to get involved in. Let's go volunteer somewhere. Let's go get involved down at the Red Cross. Let's, let's go down to the rescue mission and see who we can help and what we can do. Dad is the one who turns his kids away from the house and out to the world and gives them an opportunity to see that there's a whole world out here that we can get out and we can serve in. The world is bigger than my bedroom. I got a little side note. So 
I was reading a story one time uh, in the newspaper about this kid who was just actually just out of control. And it's actually it was something. Anyway, um, he was just out of control. He wouldn't go to school. He wouldn't listen to his parents. He was using drugs and alcohol. I mean, he was just literally out of control. And so the news team went out to his house just to kind of get a sense of what was going on. And they went into the parents, let him in the house and they went into his bedroom and they opened the door and it looked like Circuit City. He had a 60 inch TV. He had an Xbox. He had a guitar with a bass box in it. He had everything that he ever needed in life. And so his mindset was, well, why should I leave here? I got everything I need at home. And so what's the transferable message there? It's okay for us to love our children, but we shouldn't give them everything. Some things in life they should have to earn. And so part of us preparing them for the world is not giving our children everything, allowing them to work for things and earn things and, and long for things, that it builds up a hunger in their lives so that they say, you know, I'm going to get a job so I can have a house like my parents. I'm going to get a job so I can have a car like my parents. I'm going I'm to get a great job and go to school so I can have that big TV that my parents have downstairs. We need to prepare them to go out into the world and to make a difference for Christ. So as we look at this story and we see what's going on, we see that these two boys had an awesome father. He was a father that provided for them. He was a father that that protected them. And he was a father that prepared them for the future. And the reason why I tell you all this is because it kind of highlights how despicable the younger son's behavior was as we begin to talk about how he responded to his father. But before I do that, I was just describing to you kind of what's been going on with our natural fathers. But what about our heavenly father? How good has he been to us? How has he provided for us? How has he taken care of us? Do you know God chose us before the foundation of the world? That before he even created the world, he said, I'm going to save you. And I'm going to save you. And I'm going to save you. And I'm going to save Jonathan. I'm going to orchestrate circumstances and situations in, a, in his life so that he's going to call on me. He's going to cry out to me so that he can be saved, so that I can be in a right relationship with him. And then after he did that, he saved us. I don't know where you got saved. I got saved on a bus coming home from a basketball game. I played basketball at Tuskegee University, and I was living my life and doing my thing and having a good time, so I thought, but I didn't have any peace. I didn't have any joy. There was nothing going on in my life that was remarkable. And God sent a young man on that basketball team. His name was Eugene Mason. And Eugene shared with me the four spiritual laws. And I got saved on that bus coming home from that basketball game. That's how God's provided for me. And that's how God's provided for you. I'm sure not many of you got saved coming home from a basketball game, but most of you got saved somewhere. Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you got saved at youth camp. Maybe you got saved in college. But God has chosen to save you. And not only that, he's forgiven us. You know, I look back over my life before I got saved and I was a hot mess. I made some bad choices. Can anybody else relate to making bad choices? Can, can anybody else relate to making bad choices? Don't have me up here all by myself. Made some bad choices, made some horrible choices. But God, in his great love for me, forgave me and God forgave you. And God looked at all those things that you did and said, it doesn't matter. I love you and I, and I care about you and I, and I want to be in a relationship with you. So none of that matters at all. I'm going to cast your sins as far as from the east is from the west. Not only did he forgive us, but he gave us an identity in Christ. He gave us an unshakable, unmovable, foundational identity in Christ so that no matter what goes on in our lives, we can always be found safe in him, in his perfection, in his grace, in his mercy, in his love, in his kindness. God's not kind to us because there's anything inherently good in us. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. But God's kind to us because we have been found in Christ. 
And so God blesses our marriages and blesses our families and blesses our children and blesses our finances and blesses our jobs because we are found in him. You know what was interesting about God? God was so wise. God says, you know, even after I save them, I know they're not going to get it right. I I know they still going to make mistakes. They they still not going to be able to get it done. So I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to live in them. I'm going to fill their lives with the fruit of the spirit. And he lets the Holy Spirit live in us. And he fills us with his love and with his joy and with his peace. And his long-suffering and his goodness and his gentleness and his faithfulness and his self-control. He gives us the capacity to live this Christian life. I don't know if there's anybody in this room that's frustrated right now with their Christian life, but it might be because you're not letting God live through you. You might be engaging in activities or, 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 or hanging around people that, that frustrate or quench the life of the spirit within you. But God says there's, there's life in you. There's, there's peace in you and there's joy in you. If you will just come back to me. Submit yourself to me. I'll let the fruit of the spirit abide in your life. Not only has he done all those things, but he's given us eternal life. How many of you know there's a one to one correlation between being born and dying? I know that's tough, you know, but it is what it is. You know, remember, remember the, the comedian came. Hey, bro, it is what it is. At some point in your life, you're going to be up in front of this building in a box. And all your friends are going to be crying. All your friends are going to be weeping. And somebody you don't like is going to spend your inheritance. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. They're going to spend your life insurance. They're going to spend your retirement. They're going to go to Hawaii. My wife said she went to go see a preacher one time. He said life insurance make the grieving process a little bit easier. It just, it, it just make it a little bit easier, husbands and wives. So y'all get y'all some life insurance so your, your spouse could have it a little bit easier when you kick up out of here. But, but he's given us eternal life. This is not it. When we leave here, we get to spend eternity with God. And the metaphor is there'll be streets of gold. There'll be peace everlasting. There'll be joy everlasting. God's going to give you a rock, a white rock with your name on it. That's going to be unique to you. You're going to spend eternity in the presence of the omnipotent, omniscient Lord of glory. And then lastly, not only has God done all that, but God blesses us while we're here. Doesn't he? Doesn't doesn't God just do wonderful It's not bad enough they got the lights on rotisserie and now I got a bird flying in my face. God blesses us while we're here. Right? Oh, it's hot. It's hot. So I don't know. And if I was 5'2", I'd be fine, but I'm not. I'm almost 7 feet tall. I'm, it's like, I feel like I got pulled over by a highway patrolman. He's like, can I see your license? Uh, yeah. Um... God blesses us on this side of glory. He loves us so much. He gives us families. He gives us wives. He gives us children. He does all those wonderful things for us. Y'all crazy. (laughs) And so back to the parable today. In, In light of all that, the parable basically insinuates that this father was excelling at all of his roles. And everything he could do, he would done for these children. Let's look at how the son responded to his father's kindness. Verse 12. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So dad divided his property between them. Not long after that, the son got together all he had, set off for a distant land and there squandered his wealth and wild living. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. 
And he longed to fill his stomach with the pies that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. All right, I got to pick up the pace. All right. So we look at the son's response to his kindness. First of all, he told him, give me my inheritance. He was led by his own immature and carnal desires. He said, I don't care what you've done. I'm not interested in being in relationship with you. I'm not interested in being connected to anything that you have given me anymore. I don't want to hear any more stories about what grandpa did for you. I don't want to hear, have any more teachable moments with you. I want my inheritance and I'm leaving. And then he withdrew from his father's presence and he withdrew himself from his own authority. Now, that's cute inside of this story until we start talking about our own lives and the ways that we withdraw from God as good as God has been to us. You know, it's unfortunate that God blesses our finances and then at times we, we refuse to pay our tithes or, or, or we pray that God would heal us and make promises to God. God, if you heal me, then I'll serve in the church. I'll, I'll be a deacon. I'll do all those things. And then God keeps up his end of the bargain. And then we just keep it moving like we never made a promise to God. See, what's interesting about this story is that this son isn't just somebody abstract in this book. This son is us. It's you and it's me and, and the decisions that we make, even after God blesses us and does all these wonderful things for us, that we go on our separate way. We see that he engaged in riotous and wasteful living. He wasted all that his father had given him. Your life and my life are full of gifts, are full of talents from God that God wants us to use to, to, to honor and serve other people and then ultimately to glorify himself. And the question I have for myself and the question I have for you today is, are we using our gifts and talents to do that? Or are our gifts and talents all about me, myself, and I? How much more money can I make with the, with the gift of speaking that I have? Or, or how much more money can I make if I spend this much more time at, at, at work? No, I don't have time to go to service during the week. I don't have time to come on Sunday. I don't have time for any of those things because I'm off chasing the American dream. This son is you and this son is me. And the unfortunate part about this dying world spiral is that ultimately it always leads to poverty. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but sin will always take you further than you want to go. It will always keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will always cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will always take us further than we want to go, keep us longer than we want to stay, and cost us more than we want to pay. It's inevitable. It's the nature of sin. It's the nature of withdrawing from God. See, some of us are not into any particular sin. In particular, we're just aloof to God. We're just, we're just cold toward God. We're just not interested in the things of God. Yeah, he can save me. I love fire insurance. I'm going to heaven. But between here and that door, my life is mine. And the Bible teaches us that, no, our life's been bought with a price. We are not our own. We belong to him. And so in the, even in the midst of that rebellion, even in the midst of that indifference, even in the midst of that unwillingness to be in a relationship with his father, we're going to see the awesome hand of God in the life of this young man. Romans 8 and 28 tells us that in all things, God works together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. See, that father knew that even though his son was acting ridiculous, he still loved him. Even though he was out there living that life, spending his money, hanging out with the wild women, drinking the quick alcohol, doing all those things, he knew that he still loved God. And God knows that about you and God knows that about me. Even though we're spending 55 hours a week at work, he knows we still love him. Even though we're indifferent to God and we're running out of here on Sunday to go watch the football game, and he knows that we still love him. So what God did is he allowed the natural consequences that he was going to experience to come to pass. The Bible says that when he was in the pig pen, ultimately he came to his senses. 
See, God is so merciful to us that he allows us to come to our senses. See, now he may do that by using an illness. He may use that by allowing us to be laid off. He may do that by allowing a child of ours to get sick. Somebody to break into our home, a car accident. He may use it just by being extremely kind and filling your life with grace. The Bible says that we are drawn to him because of his love and because of his kindness. But the thing that we ought to know is, is at some point, God is going to bring us to our senses so that we begin to reorient our lives back to him. The Bible says that after he came to his senses, he repented and he returned back and said, I'm going to go back to my father. You know, it's not just enough just for us to come to our senses. It wasn't just enough for this young man to realize, hey, I'm in the pig pen. I'm eating mud and, and corn husks. I smell like a, a, a hot mess on Friday night. He said, I'm going to do something about it. And it's important for us when we find ourselves in those situations to say, God, you know, I'm a, I I'd have made a mess of my life. I have made a mess of my finances. I've made a mess of my family. I've made a mess of my relationships. And I need you to fix it. He, he repented and he began to return back to his father. You know, the beautiful thing about this story, and it doesn't say it here, you'd, you'd have to study the historical context, is that his father had been standing on that porch all day, every day, looking for his son to come home. He was waiting. God was waiting for him to come home. God was waiting for him to turn around. God, his father was waiting for him to get his stuff together, and he just looked every day. Is my boy coming home today? Is my boy coming home today? Is my daughter coming home today? Where is she? I know she's out there. I, I know she knows me. I, I, I know she wants better. Is she coming home today? His father was standing out there waiting for him every day looking. And the Bible says that when he saw him, he took off running to greet him. Now, that might sound cool to us because our dads wear these nice leotard uh, sweatsuits with uh, nice Nike shoes and these these cool uh, just do it T-shirts. But uh, in those days, for a man to run, he would have been wearing a long flowing gown. And in, and in order for him to run, he would have had to have grab his gown at the bottom and put it up in front of him so that his legs would not have been encumbered in his robe. But what we what the story doesn't tell us is that every self-respecting, no self-respecting father would ever put, show his legs in public. And that father said, you know, I don't care anything about social protocols. I don't care what this is going to cost me. I don't care what's going to happen when I get to the gate tomorrow and I'm sitting around with the elders. I don't care what they're going to say. My son that was lost is now found and I'm going to run to meet him. Now you say, well, why did you tell me that? I didn't, I didn't want to know that. Well, the reason why I told you that was is because our God, our awesome God, the Bible says he who dies on a tree is cursed. And when we, were out, when we were out there in our mess, doing our own thing, living life the way we want to live life, God sent his son to die on a cross that he might redeem you and he might redeem me. And that was more than just saving us and giving us our fire insurance so that we can go to heaven. God sent his son to die for us that when we got caught up in the troubles of life, we could look up to heaven and say, God, I've made a mess of it all. I need you to forgive me. I'm coming home. And I don't know where, where you are today. Maybe you've never invited Christ into your life. Maybe as you've listened to this story today, you know, you realize, you know, I never knew that father that you're talking about today. I don't know anything about being chosen. I don't know anything about being saved. I don't know anything about being forgiven. 
Well, today is your day. There's a God in heaven that loves you more than he loves anything on the earth. If he had never created anybody else on the earth but you, he would have died on the cross for you. And so here's what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that God loves us and he has a plan for our life. I've talked to you about that already. The second thing, spiritual law, that uh, is true for us is that although God loves us and has a plan for our life, there's something that separates us from the love of God, and that's our sin. That's our rebellion. That's our desire to do our own thing. That's our, the fact that we fornicate and shack up and lie and abuse ourselves and abuse other people. He said that stuff is a barrier. We can't be in relationship with God and practice those things. But the beautiful thing about that is, is that even when we were yet sinners, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. God sent his son Jesus to take care of all that stuff. And the only thing you have to do is say, God, I admit with you and I agree with you that you're right. I need to be forgiven and God will save you from your sins. And I'm wondering today, is there anyone after hearing this message realizes where you stand today? I don't know God. I don't know anything about this relationship you're talking about, but I'd like to have one. If you would like to have one, please slip up your hand. It doesn't cost you a thing. The Bible says that when we were yet sinners, God died for us. And so if you're interested in inviting Christ into your life today, I'm just going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. You can do it to yourself. It just basically says, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've lived my life my own way. I want you to come into my heart and come into my life. And forgive me of my sin. And give me a new life that I might be in relationship with you. If you've done that today, I'd like for you to fill out one of the cards that's in front of you and and give it to someone so that we can uh, celebrate with you for giving your life to the Lord. Now, one last thing and then I'm going to step down. Many of us in this room are, are still saved. And we're the one who's been away from God for far too long. God wants you to come back home. And we'd like to invite you to come to the prayer room when the service is over if you'd like and recommit your life to Christ. So God bless you and have a great day. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, You can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.